Welcome to The Hold Room with ACC, a quick update on all things relating to airport development as well as the Airport Consultants Council. This episode is part of the Passenger Experience Series hosted by ACC's Terminal and Facilities Committee. In this series, we are collecting the experiences and perspectives about the future of passenger travel including changing demographics, such as the U.S. population aging and becoming more multicultural, new technologies, labor and supply chain shortages, and what the future may have in store. Thank you for joining us in the Hold Room. Welcome back to the Hold Room, everyone. Thanks for joining us today. I want to introduce to you Allison Hawk and Dan Seely. So why don't we kick off this interview by having you both introduce yourself, talk about your role, a little bit about your company, and how you work in the aviation market. Sure. Hi, I'm Allison Hawk. I'm a licensed architect and I focus on terminal planning and design. I've been with HNCV Corporation for the past seven years. A little bit about HNCV. We're an architecture and engineering company and we're based out of Kansas City. I would say my goals in the industry are to elevate American airports to this amazing standard that is admired globally and be thought leaders in passenger experience and sustainability. Thank you all for having me. My name is Dan Seeley. I'm the senior manager of construction at Tampa Airport. I've been with Tampa Airport for 10 years and been able to participate in all of the current phases and the future phase of our $3 billion master plan program. Uh, my previous projects here included the $500 million Conrack APM complex we built, as well as the implosion of a garage. And currently, I'm the construction manager on the main terminal curbside expansion, which Allison and her teams had designed with the design builder. Prior to Tampa, I worked for eight years for a national contractor, building high-end hospitality and education projects across the U.S., which included Ritz-Carlton's, JW Marriott's, and Disney. And my goal as a construction manager at the airport is to ensure that throughout all the work that we do, we are providing the best guest experience for people coming through the airport. We often say, and, and we know our design builders know, we are an airport first and a construction site second. So every decision we make, we need to ensure keeps the customer focus as, as number one. So guest experience, is there a definition that Tampa has for that? And then following up on that, are there any challenges that you've encountered and how did you overcome them? Sure. We're considered a large airport and we are consistently ranked in the top five. Most recently this last year, the number one rated JD Power large airport in the U.S. And we're very proud of that. Many years before we were number two, number three. But to get the number one award while doing construction really says a lot for our construction team, but also our airport. And, you know, guest experience, it's from the moment they drive in to the moment they leave. And I think that our commitment to that shows in the fact that we're being bold in what we're building, i.e. the express curbsides of what HNTB designed for us, which we're, to our knowledge, first in the U.S. and first in the world to have a dedicated express curbside for passengers that have carry-on only bags coming to the airport and leaving the airport. So that all plays into easy in, easy out guest experience. Some people just want to get here and get get to their hotel rooms. And so that's really what we focus on. And from the construction side, we, we're willing to push the envelope and be bold and work with bold teams to, to get there. 
That's really great to hear that you've made a lot of improvements to get that top rating and also to overcome some of the, the challenges that those guests may have been having. I love the idea of a like an express curve for your individuals who are only carrying on luggage. That's great. How would you research or determine the need for that and design it? That would be very interesting. HNTB also performed the master plan. So during planning, the major challenge was that Tampa's curbsides were at capacity and they really didn't have room to expand. So early on in the process, we used some of Tampa's existing data as well as we performed passenger surveys. And we found out pretty quickly that over 50% of Tampa's passengers don't check bags. So we immediately saw that as a really unique opportunity to cater to different passenger types. Tampa's landside campus is also pretty constrained, so there wasn't really the opportunity to extend the curb's length. That paired with the finding that we have this different passenger group, what we did is we actually expanded on the outside of the existing curbs, and we doubled the curbside capacity. So between the existing roadway lanes and the new roadway lanes, that's where our express lobbies are located, and that gives Tampa's passengers the opportunity to get dropped off and have that direct path to their gate and allows them to bypass the more crowded areas at check-in and baggage claim. So it really decongests both the existing curb and creates that really direct path for Tampa's express passengers. So that was the real challenge during planning. I'd also say that there were some major challenges during design. So Tampa's main terminal is actually located under a six-story parking garage that's way up in the air. And our site for our Blue Side Express Lobby is also under that six-story parking garage. It's also wedged between the main terminal and the long-term parking garage and plan. So there were quite a lot of constraints to the volume that we had to deal with. And the challenge we felt was how do we make this space feel light and welcoming and intuitive for passengers with our volume constraints? We took every available square foot of space that we could. In fact, our arc-shaped roof comes within two feet of the underside of the ramps at some locations, so it's pretty tight. But we specifically reoriented the main circulation to the space where we have that highest amount of volume. Previously, there were two bridges that connected the long-term parking garage across the street to the main terminal. And with our project, we relocated those bridges to be one central bridge that crossed through the highest point of the volume we had available, which was really great from an intuitive wayfinding perspective because when passengers enter our new express lobby, their eye is automatically drawn up to the highest point of the space, which is where they need to go. I like how it's structured, too, to have that intuitiveness to it for the passenger to find their way. Allison, based on what you shared with that, with your story and your experience designing the new express lobby, it sounds like a lot of existing space is being reworked, remodeled to make this work and make it exist. I would be curious for Dan and your role being really focused on the construction side of things, the types of challenges you had during this project, you know, creating a, sure. a 
good guest experience while while moving forward with the project. Sure. No, and, and as Allison hit on, it was a tight site. We joke that we built a building under a building between two buildings and surrounded by cars. And from the construction aspect of it, trying to pull off building a building and, and road and bridge at this magnitude with such a constrained site was a challenge. We've all built in green fields before. This was about as opposite of what that is. It is even more of an extreme downtown job. That's kind of what we we joked about. Everything had to be coordinated. We actually, the design builder used a, uh, a dedicated person who was delivery coordinator because there's just no room for trucks to stage. We had to have cranes and large pieces of equipment come in middle of the night, early morning. Uh, we had to have rebar deliveries and such come in early morning and then height constraints. I'll have to share a picture with you guys afterwards, but when we put in the escalator truss system, we had to have the crane up under that crisscross bridge that goes into the garage, and we got within about eight inches of it, and we had that truss system fully boomed up within that crane just because that's the only way to get it up in there. But the contractor, Hensel Phelps, did an amazing job coordinating items, staying ahead of items, and then also our team really has to work closely with all of our tenants, internal and external, to ensure that we're communicating our impacts, you know, taking bridges out of service, you know, all that affects our operations, all that affects our wayfinding signage. So having the foresight to a month or two ahead, we have these continual rolling meetings of internal stakeholder meetings, external stakeholder meetings. Hey, look, we are taking these bridges out of service. You will go here. Here's the signage. And then prior to execution, everybody knows what's coming. Also, the pandemic happened, which in Tampa, we were construction was still deemed essential. However, there were some limitations on spaces. But what that did is that cut our passenger traffic down so substantially, we were able to actually close the entire blue side of the airport, which had never been done before. We closed it for two weeks straight and we got work done that would have normally taken us two, three months to do drilled shafts in the middle of a roadway. We did it in two weeks. And so took advantage of the opportunities of low passenger volume and turned it into a positive for the construction project it was really a huge win. And again, everybody worked safely. We had a industrial hygienist on site mandated by the county. And so we had work rules that the team worked through. Everybody made it through safe, but really doubled down on let's take all the abilities to take advantage of low passenger traffics and cars to get out there and do the work as quickly and efficiently as possible. That's incredible. And it's so good to be able to take that opportunity and accelerate things as needed. Yep. It turned out really well. Good. And you kind of touched upon this a little bit just now, but I wanted to dive in a little bit more on how things like diversity were included in that and community engagement throughout this process to make sure things like you already mentioned, you communicated certain areas were closed. This is the way that you would go. I guess mm-hmm. I want to understand a little bit more like the, the communication process, what you usually sure. do. And and then on the on the ultimate side, that's a big change for people who use the airport a lot. How was that communicated? Hey, you're only traveling with um, carry-on luggage. Please go this right. way, right? And um, stuff like that on the diversity side, you know, with wheelchairs and ramps and stuff. So. so in my 10 years of being at the airport, I've really seen the implementation of social media play a large role in how we notify the community during that time period. And currently we have a dedicated social media manager dedicated to our construction projects that we talk with him about work or impact that are upcoming that he will go ahead. He can't put them out too early, but just that right times in between a week and a half and two weeks and then a couple bumps closer to about impacts that we'll have to walkways, road closures, uh, but social media plays a huge role. And then also promoting it. He'll go take pictures afterwards or we're doing drilled shaft work and we got him right up next to one one day and the thing's 
spitting out concrete next to them and, you know, really showing them the, the neat side of construction, hopefully inspire the next generation of people to consider construction as an occupation because it is really neat. And the stuff we're doing out here is fantastic. As far as outreach, the design building team's done a great job with community outreach. We had multiple community outreach events at the beginning of job to ensure that we had as much community involvement from the WMBE entities, women and minority owned business entities involved in the project as possible. And to the state, we're exceeding our goal, both on the design side and our construction side. So we've had that diversity built into the job, mandated by our contract, and then thus exceeded by our design builder. So of course, with ADA and such, every one of our facilities, if we do alternate routes, all will be 100% ADA compliant. And also we listen to feedback. Social media is neat. People will make comments on social media. They monitor those comments. Also to sign into our Wi-Fi, we have a mandatory survey that says, do you like XYZ? So we can get real-time data feedback on specific items. Did this, was it easy to find the Starbucks? Did this walk bridge feel like it was too long? And so we can use those comments to kind of find out, you know what, we have an issue with some wayfinding signage over here. Let's go look at it with the team and try to evaluate it. Very robust. For me, traveling at airports, I see a lot of individuals who are needing wheelchair services or, or additional help from the airport to navigate the terminals. So I'm curious what you know, Dan, maybe during the construction process, what precautions were put in place to alleviate any stress that would have happened with that mm-hmm. need? You know, for Allison, it could be as you were working on this project and involved with it, what considerations did the design and architecture team have or put in place to ensure that, you know, you're meeting those requirements or, you know, possibly if, you're, if your team did some research to determine what those needs would be? As we were in the middle of design, we were talking with the airport about how do we get passengers from the long-term parking garage to the terminal during construction. And at some point, we had discussed trying to get passengers down from every level of the parking garage down to grade, cross, and have to go back up. And that was going to be a very circuitous path. And it would have been very difficult to get passengers across the roadway lanes and make sure we're maintaining safety. And especially from an accessibility standpoint, it would have been very rough on passengers. So about halfway through design, I think we were in sort of the DD slash 60% phase of design. Uh, The airport's executive team said, you know what, we need to do what's right here and maintain that third level bridge access throughout construction. So we had to pause our design process for a minute because that meant that we needed to actually phase the construction of the new express lobby. So yeah, that accessibility from the long-term parking garage to the main terminal was really, really important for the airport for accessibility for their passengers. Yeah, absolutely. It it was not the easiest or cheapest way to build it, but it was the right way to build it. The other options would have been too impactful to our guests. And so it was the right move and building a building five-eighths complete. In Florida, by the way, where it rains every day for like four months, had its challenges, but ultimately it was the right call and the team got done and it was great. We had minimal complaints. That's great. So from that experience, what are some lessons learned or some advice that you would give other airports growing through similar size and types of projects? I think engagement from multiple parties. It's just not planning and development. In our meetings, we engage our internal stakeholders from P&D operations, airfield operations, concessions, real estate, traffic, 
parking because you never know what decision is going to, just because it's not our world, like, you know, for instance, parking, I may not realize that the decision I'm making in the design or working with the design of the team on is going to affect the parking team. And so those team members are integral to the design development. And again, Alice and I have been in the meetings and it's 25, 30 people where HNTB is presenting the design or this week's design update. And you get some good feedback and different perspectives from people who are not builders and not designers, but they live and breathe operations, passenger experience, parking, traffic, police, all of that. And so we really have a robust committee that assists in the design. That's probably one of the larger pieces of advice I'd give to other airports. Yeah, I love the comment of integrating all the opinions of stakeholders. That's so important. And I think from a design perspective, so both the stakeholders' opinions, but also consideration of different passenger types, like those that are wheelchair-bound, those express passengers that don't have bags. Like if you can think about the different passenger journeys through the airport, that might lead to unexpected findings. Every airport is very unique. And I love the story of how we had found out that over half of Tampa's passengers don't need to check their bags. And we found this really simple path to get them from point A to B. And I would just say to start with that very critical stakeholder input, but also really consider your different passenger types and all of your user needs in the building. And you may come up with some unique and exciting solutions that you would not have. That was such a great to be part of that team and, and do that and, and do it for the last couple portions of the master plan and, and also benchmarking to other airports, seeing trends that are at other airports. I'm curious, have you found that since installing the express lane that more people have been inspired not to have checked luggage? And have you seen any kind of changes <laughs> in your demographics? Because I would feel like if I come to an airport, I'm like, oh, there's this easy thing. Maybe next time I'll try that. So it was designed pre-pandemic and most of the passengers that did not have checked bags we found were the business travelers. Uh, a large majority were. Then the pandemic happened and then business travel got cut back. And now here we are post-pandemic and many and you would argue it's not back to levels that it was because companies have changed the way they operate. With all that said, before we opened, we ensured that we had traffic counters located on our blue side, both on our full service curb and our express curb, so we can measure the entire load of the blue side, how many use full, full service, how many use express. And so with that, we've been able to see we're a year and five months we've been open or six months we've been open. So a year and a half. And our goal was 40% usage of all blue side would use Express. Right now we're at 30% and we're a year in. And it's still a novel concept. Even people in the community, our neighbors, when we leave, we say, hey, go go to Express Curbside. If you're not checking a bag, what's that? I don't go to the airport much. The people who fly in frequently don't know versus the business travelers. They know the quickest way in, quickest way out, got us a cup of coffee. They're going to figure it out. And we've interviewed some people. We just go out and we talk and then they are astounded and they're ecstatic at the fact that they can get in and out in I would even border saying 10 minutes and they can get out to the curbside and get their Uber, which is directed express explicitly to that portion. We worked with Uber and Lyft to make the, their apps reflect no bag check pickup or baggage check-in. That way, when you arrive, you say, I'm not picking up the bag from the baggage carousel. You click it on the app and it automatically diverts you on your map and the Uber driver to that express curbside. So we leverage technology to help get people over there as well. So that's kind of a long explanation of it, but it's, it's going well for a year and a half in. And I think, Allison, I think you guys would agree it's with all things in the world that changed since design. I think you guys are as happy as we are. 
absolutely. And it has been exciting, you know, when it first opened and no one knew what it was. It didn't have too many people being dropped off or picked up there. But as Dan kind of alluded to, there's been a growing and growing and growing number of passengers that start to use it. And it is really exciting to to hear customers' reactions to how easy it is. Yeah. I think our first week we had 100 people use it and people were shaking their heads and we were like, no, you guys, you got to give it time. People need to figure it out. If you're first to do something, you have to be patient and people will need to figure it out. And and it's going great. And we're building one on the red side now to serve the, the red side airlines like Southwest. Also, we saw in spring break, we would typically see backups out of our parkway for as long as a mile. And with this express curbside this year, it's been the first time within the last 15 years they have not seen a backup happen. It's because it's split the traffic between the two curbsides on blue. And our traffic and operations team says they have not seen that in 15 years. So that's a testament to how effective it is. Allison, are you seeing, you know, you did this really interesting study here at Tampa Airport to really determine how the passengers were navigating through the airport. Is your team applying that in different projects or areas? Yeah, I think so. You know, I do think that this specific express curve concept is pretty unique to Tampa. Like I mentioned before, every airport is unique and you just need to work with the infrastructure you have and understand the passenger's journey and come up with unique solutions. That's really one of the reasons I love aviation design, that it is complex. Airports are complex, but when you can find these simple, easy solutions to cater to the airport, and to passengers' needs, it's really, really rewarding. But to try to answer your question, I think one of our goals is really to try to make air travel as easy and accessible to as many passengers as possible. And Tampa is just one example of how to do that. So one thing we're starting to really look ahead to is the aging traveler population. We know that in the future, there'll be more and more aging travelers. How do we make all of these airports approachable to those passengers? How do we remove that intimidation factor? And overall, how do we reduce stress for all passengers coming through the airport? So yeah, we've got unique solutions to that at Tampa, as we've discussed today, but we've got some other designs underway and under construction at some of our other projects as well that I can't wait to see implemented. So do you want to give us a quick high-level overview? of some of those? Because that's also one of the things that ACC is focusing on right now is the aging population and how best to incorporate that into design. We're working on a new terminal at Des Moines. We're designing the boarding gates in a way that passengers will be able to see when their gate is boarding from a pretty great distance away. Passengers aren't obligated to sit directly in that hold room. They can sit at a coffee shop, you know, several hundred feet away and intuitively know when their gate is boarding. So that gives them the chance to order another coffee or spend a little more time in a revenue generating space like retail without worrying that their flight is boarding. So different application, but just a way to kind of reduce that stress level for passengers once they're on the air side. I like that a lot. It's interesting you say that because I know there's a lot of good stuff that technology can provide. We've heard a lot of some of that already today. On the other hand, how do you integrate with an aging population?
population, some people are less technologically inclined or they are averse to it. Does that play into your thinking as you go through this or people who are late adopters of certain technologies? Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I completely agree. It can't just be something that pops up on your phone because that's not, as you said, you know, that's not really accessible to everyone. The solution that we're developing in Des Moines is to actually have the gate itself sort of illuminate when it's time to board. So it's not something that you see on your phone. It's the actual infrastructure is responding to the boarding process, just as an example. Oh, good. That's, that sounds really interesting. I can just imagine like this landscape of beautiful different shades of brightness or, or colors for that matter that play into it. But then as the question, you know, how does that work for people who are blind? Is there some kind of you know, other that's system? A, that's a great question. And I don't know that we've solved that yet. Yet, that question has been sort of percolating in my mind for a while now. So we'll have to check back in at a later date, see what we come up with for those individuals. Great. Well, thank you everyone for joining us today. Thanks, Dan and Allison. Really appreciate you having on and telling us your story. Thank you. It was such a pleasure being with both of you today and with you, Dan, to tell this story. And we're really excited about the Tampa project, obviously. So excited to share that with you guys. Thanks for joining us in The Hold Room for this special podcast series exploring the new passenger experience. You can find more from this series on the ACC Training Hub. That's training.acconline.org backslash the-hold-room or wherever you get your podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc. Follow us for more content from the Airport Consultants Council. You can support this podcast by leaving a rating or review and by telling your friends and colleagues about the podcast. Thanks again.